Hey guys, what's up? It's Jacob, aka Ska Dad. Welcome to Base to Base Episode 2, featuring Tim Carnes of the legendary band The Toasters. We talk about how Tim got involved in music, about he joined The Toasters, and about how he got endorsed. We talk about so much more as well. Please listen, please like and subscribe, leave comments, let me know what you think, let me know who you want to hear from, and uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. Thank you again so much, I really appreciate the support. How are you doing? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Um, well, thank you so much for just giving me some of your time to to talk to you. I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Of course, man, thanks for asking. Yeah, of course, of course, I'm so stoked. Um when when did you know that music was just going to be a part of your life? Like when you knew that's what you wanted to do? Um, I mean, it kind of always was because um, my father made a living playing guitar when I was a kid. So, um, you know, it's kind of that's that was kind of, you know, there's always music in the house. There was music outside of the house. There was, you know, there's records everywhere. We were allowed to play whatever we wanted to listen to whatever we wanted to any of his stuff we were allowed, you know, there was jazz, there was classical stuff, there was contemporary stuff, there was like some like funk, you know, there's all kinds of music in the house all the time. You know, if, if my dad was home or if my parents were home, there was usually a record playing. Um, so it was kind of just something that was in, in our, in our home all the time. Uh, and then I guess, uh, I, no, I don't think I ever expected to be, a, you know, to be a working musician. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think that, was ever in the plan <laughs> does anybody i mean does does that ever work out for anybody <laughs> right <laughs> man that that's awesome so um your dad played guitar so uh it just because i guess how come you didn't follow your dad's footsteps with the guitar or did you did you start no i didn't um my my brother i have a brother that's two years older than me and my dad was teaching for a while and um he he was teaching my brother to play guitar and I guess sixth or seventh grade, I think I was, my father asked at dinner one night, he's like, you know, do you want, would you like to learn to play guitar? And I said, no, I want to learn how to play bass. <laughs> and he said, okay, well tell me, tell me why first. And I said, because he's going to need a bass player. And I was talking about my brother. So um, but most of my friends at that age were all playing guitar or drums and nobody was playing bass. And I just, you know, like I, I grew up, around my father's band and I didn't realize at the time that the bass player in the band would have a pretty big influence on me. Um, I just liked, you know, Mr. Weber was just this cool bass player, like your stereotypical Floyd Pepper kind of like, you know, seventies <laughs> bass player. He could sing, he could play, you know, just ripping parts. He also was sick pocket player. And I didn't even know all that stuff when I was little. So I think, you know, somewhere between my father's influence and, and his bass player's influence, I, I arrived at the bass. Nice. And that's, that, all I, that's all I know how to play. Like, I have a couple guitars, but I mean, I can play your, you know, I can play G, C, D, A, and that's <laughs> that's pretty much it, unless you want bar chords. Man, that that's awesome to hear. Um, I kind of fell into the same situation. My dad was going to get me uh, an instrument for Christmas, and all of my friends play guitar. So I was like, yeah, no one plays a bass. Like, I'll I'll try this out. And weren't you glad? Yeah, yo, man, so happy. My my parents didn't know that I needed an amp, so they just bought me an electric bass first, and then I got the amp, like, afterwards. But I still had so much fun, like, playing. Yeah, I don't think I didn't, I didn't have an amplifier 
probably for the first two years that I had a base. Like my dad was teaching at a couple of shops and teaching at a college when he came off the road and um, he came home from work one night after that conversation with a, you know, a Japanese beetle base copy. So it was semi hollow. So I, you know, I think, I think that was intentional because then he didn't have to listen to me stumble through a bunch <laughs> of stuff, you know, through an amplifier. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get an amplifier until I was like a sophomore in high school or something like that. So like two or three, four years after. And, you know, I just, that's probably, I think that's one of the reasons why I play so hard is because I didn't have an amp for a really long time. Dan, that's crazy. Um, so like when you were learning and your dad wasn't around, how were you practicing? I was picking, well, uh, he got me some lessons at a local music shop, which was, you know, like the, it was pretty, my, he gave me, he gave me like two lessons and then he was too busy to teach me. So he started getting, he got me lessons at a local music store and I took those for a while and, you know, a really cool guitar player taught me some really cool stuff and, you know, taught me how to pick songs apart with my ear um, and taught me to read a little bit, which I don't remember. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and then I took some more serious lessons from one of my dads, you know, a guy that my dad was working with, a bass player that my dad was working with. Um, but for the most part, when I was at home, I was just like listening to records and trying to, you know, pick bass parts apart by ear to learn them. And that, I mean, that's, that's what I did. You know, I just wore records out doing that and tapes. My poor parents probably had to hear the same, you know, you got to back up, <laughs> and, you know, start play, play it again and back up and play it again. And, you know, I was probably driving them crazy and I'm grateful that they never made me stop. <laughs> <laughs> Was, uh, what are like some of the bass lines or bass players that you were listening to like when you first started learning? I think um, a lot of the, you know, I'm, I was born in the late 60s. So, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of good rock and roll on the radio. There's like there were album rock stations. There were three album rock stations in D.C., you know, and they were playing album cuts and stuff, you know. So you could, you know, if, if a Ted Nugent record came out, they weren't just playing Cat Scratch Fever. They were playing the third song on the second side of the record, you know, so you got exposed to a lot of stuff and that was a good time for, you know, there was a good time for rock bassists, you know, we got fog hat, the bass player from fog hat was insane. Um, the Ted Nugent's bass. I don't, I, I don't like Ted now because of his politics, but I liked his music when I was growing up and he always had great musicians in his band. Um, you know, the Timothy Schmidt from the Eagles, Randy Meisner from the Eagles, the stuff that was on the records that my father, my mom were listening to, Rocco Prestia, um, God rest his soul. Um, you know, guys that were in that band, the Crusaders, which are a bunch of slick LA session guys from the seventies. Um, you know, just all, all kinds of stuff. I didn't really start pulling stuff apart. You know, like when I started pulling records apart and trying to learn songs and stuff, it was, it was heavier stuff. So like, you know, like when I started learning Iron Maiden songs and when I, you know, my friends and I could make our way all the way through Wrathchild, then I think I figured we were probably onto something that we should keep doing. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, that's awesome. Uh, Steve Harris is a hundred percent, like one of my biggest influences. Uh, he's incredible. Iron Maiden. Yeah. Yeah. He's incredible. I, and he's I know. still <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's 10 years older than me and he's, you know, he's still playing soccer and like, slaying on bass like what do you, you know and he's piloting one of the you know the biggest rock bands in history and they're they're doing they're still doing it and doing it very very well i mean they would be if we weren't off the road and stuff but yeah yeah versus the men yeah absolutely um so when did you start uh like forming bands um after you like you're comfortable playing and stuff 
right in right in high school when i was in like i think when i was in seventh grade i was playing with guys that were in eighth grade um just for fun that only happened a couple of times uh and then you know when i got into high school i made made friends with some you know guys that were in the same kind of stuff as me that were at the same level if not a little bit better probably a little bit better um so you know we would help each other figure stuff out and we were you know started forming bands as early as freshman year of high school when you started those bands were they like cover bands or were you already trying to write your own music they were cover bands we were learning other people's stuff you know the typical stuff you know all the heavy rock stuff that we were doing at the time i, I didn't start getting into you know like seriously in the sky until much later um but you know when I, when I was learning i was learning hard rock you know and then then i branched off into some other stuff yeah there there's a few bass players i know or like musicians i know that are ska musicians who totally didn't start off like even like listening to ska like how did when did ska start becoming like a part of your life um i had some friends when i was in high school that, that i didn't go to school with you know, we would skate or ride our bikes together and stuff. And one of them was this guy called Tom, who was a year or two older than me, he lived around the corner. And he was starting to get into punk and new wave and ska. And he was, you know, he was playing the clash for me and playing, you know, Joe Jackson and, you know, some of that kind of stuff. And then one day he, he, he pulled out the dance craze record and, you know, that had the, you know, that had a lot of good people on it. I don't know if you've heard that record maybe, <laughs> um, but yeah. So, uh, so I kind of learned that was a kind of a foundational thing. And then when I started right before I started playing with the skunks, um, I started getting into it. And then, you know, when I got into the skunks, they just, you know, threw me into the deep end of the stuff and they just shared everything with me, which was great. So that would have been like three ninety two, ninety three, 93, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like what, what were the first, I guess, Scott bass players that you heard that you were like, really like their kind of style well obviously um horus i mean you can't really i don't think you can do anything that we're doing without having some sort of a little bit of horus in your in your in your blood um you know to this day he still he, he still amazes me like you know those like nightclub I had, to, I had to learn nightclub recently and i just couldn't believe how much fun it is um you know, like Horace was a big influence. Matt Malice, obviously, from the Toasters before me. Like, you know, that was, he's amazing. He's one of those guys who, like, anything he can think of, he can execute. You know, that's that's a different level of musician as far as I'm concerned. And then, you know, when Truth and Soul came out, one of my friends handed me that cassette, and then Norwood just changed everything. You know, I mean, the, all, those, all those different styles that he combined to make something unique of his own was just, that was just incredible. Man, that that's awesome. Uh, so, when did you start um, jamming with the Toasters? Um, I was in the Skunks in the mid '90s, um, and they they we got we were on Moon like they put out the the cassette for us, and then we we did a record with them. So, um, Skunks did a lot of shows with Toasters, you know, because it, it was only four hours from DC to um, yeah. New York or seven hours to Ohio or eight hours or whatever. So they was, you know, they started taking us out on little weekend runs and stuff. And we went out with them one weekend and Buck wasn't there. Um, he, there was a family emergency. So the band came out without him and 
Matt Malice was switching off between uh, guitar and he was playing guitar and Rick Faulkner was playing bass, except when there was a prominent trombone line that Rick would have to play trombone and Matt would play bass and then they wouldn't have any guitar. So uh, I think we were doing three dates on a weekend with them in Ohio. And um, like the second night they were like, do you think you could play these songs? And I'm like, no, there's no way I can play these songs. But I did it and I didn't do it well. I'm not gonna lie. It's probably, you know, if it wasn't for Rick and Matt standing right next to me calling chords out and stuff. I mean, I knew this, I knew some of the songs. I just had never tried to play them before. So that was an emergency situation. And then Matt went, Matt took a leave of absence for a family reason. And I filled in for him, for him. And then, and then when he, when he left um, to go to the business side of, 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 you know, the production side of stuff, he called me um, one night out of the blue and he's like, you know, so I, I think I'm going to leave toasters. And I, you know, I just wanted to know if you might be interested in that job. And I was like, well, of course, but if I, if I can't do it, I can recommend a couple of guys. And he said, um, the, I'm only allowed to call two people and you're the first person on the list. So I never knew who the other person was. And I'm, I'm glad that they didn't yeah. get that call. <laughs> but that was like, I guess, 97 when Matt went over to like, he, he left to go work with less than Jake. And then, you know, he's built himself a pretty, pretty good career on the production side of the business side of music, which is great for him and even better for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess it was around 97 that I first started playing with them and I was with them for like three years. And then, uh, we just, I didn't leave on bad terms. We just weren't, weren't really working that much. Like I think the first year I was in the band, we did 250 shows. And the year that I left the band, we were going to do about 75. So, um, I didn't really want to leave, but I, 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 you know, I wanted to make a living at that point. I was making a living doing it and it was getting harder and harder to do so. So I had to go find something else and that was tough, man. That was really tough. And then this time I started playing with them again about six years ago when, when Thaddeus left and, uh, I filled in for him a couple of times. So, you know, and, and I, which led me to believe that we were all on really good terms, which well, thankfully we still are. And, uh, and I've been doing it for about six years now. That, that's crazy. Um, so I guess just for musicians who, who like haven't been in that spot, um, can you give any advice? Like when you, when you do find yourself in a position to where maybe you're spending a lot of time with a band or an artist and you like recognize things like that, like you're not getting a, a lot of shows. Cause I know it's like a difficult uh, decision to make, but like, I guess just any advice on like what to look for or like, I guess um, how to maybe even get work or studio sessions, something like that. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know what it's like for you and, you know, your contemporaries, but it seems like, you know, every time I go out on the road with toasters and we spend time with another band, you know, if we play a show with another band or, you know, just some friends come by to see us or whatever, the question that people always ask me is, what other bands are you in? Because it seems like everybody's in more than one band now. Um, sorry about that. My dogs That's are about okay. to. Um, but yeah, so, you know, like, I think it's not a bad idea to try to explore a couple of different things at the same time to just to keep yourself creative and busy and stuff like that. Um, I don't do that. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but, you know, I'd like to try try to keep my commitment to the toasters as, as available as possible. Um, you know, and if, 
if you can try to find a job that'll let you like a, like a day job that'll let you do that, that's, that's gold. And you really should hold on to something like that. Nice. Great advice. That answer your question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, I remember when uh, the Toasters came maybe a couple years ago to San Antonio and um, we played at Jack's Patio and I was uh, opening for you and I got to use your bass equipment and it was awesome. Um, but I know that you're sponsored by Orange, uh, Seymour Duncan and Reverend. So I just want to see like, I guess, how, how do you as a musician like start looking into getting endorsed by um other companies like that um you just like luckily for me um when i was in toasters in the old days i think they had a miller genuine draft sponsorship and i think i buck had a gibson thing for a minute um but that was before i was in the band and and i just never asked anybody for i never asked you know and like the the scotium like was bigger back then than it is now and i think you know with this with the toasters uh legacy uh, it made it a lot easier this time to get some help from some companies i uh, can't really say that that's um i didn't really do anything but ask and you know you, you can do that politely and humbly as you know as politely and professionally as you possibly can but you know i had bucks i had 40 years of bucks hard work to kind of open those doors for me um when i reached out to orange they were the first person first people i talked to when i started working with buck again and i figured i would start at the top <laughs> and see what happened and that worked out beautifully um and it still has like i can't say enough about that relationship and that company and the people that work there and the friends that i've made because of it and i just like it's the best gear i've ever had in my life like that's the most beautiful thing about this part of my career is i have the best gear i can possibly have um i have three orange amplifiers now i don't know which one you played through if you played through the ob1 the rack mounted one i think it was rack mounted Okay, yeah, so there's two terabases here now, and then that one's in Texas, so you can go over to Buck's house and you can try it out again <laughs> if you want to. Um, and then the cabinet, the 410 cabinet, and then they just, I just got, I don't know if you know about this thing, but you got a, the bass butler. No, I don't know about that. You should look into it because it is, it's amazing. So, um, but yeah, so Orange, like that was great. Like that's, that was Buck though. I mean, like I just, you know, I said it was from toast that I was going to be playing with toasters again. And they said they'd be interested in working with me. And then the reverend thing, that's Buck's heart. Like Buck's been working with them for over 10 years and they're great. I mean, they're, they've been great to the Scott scene. Like, you know, the, the more shows that you, that, that I've, the more shows I play, the more frequently I'm seeing other people playing reverend stuff. So, you know, they're just quietly building this army of, you know, of, of artists that want to play this stuff. And the reason that we want to play it is because it's great. And I, believe so much in the people that do it but that you know that's buck's relationship again that i'm capitalizing on and the duncan thing i just asked them you know i was just curious about some stuff and they sent some stuff out um trying to think of anybody else oh we get, ernie ball has been helpful since the toasters were on a war tour 100 years ago mm -hmm. uh dunlop pedals and stuff and cables they've been really good to us um my buddy paul frank the the art the graphic artist he you know he makes us these cool straps and stuff and you know, that's, you know, just, I, I guess to answer your question more directly without sweating all these wonderful people that are so good to us, because I and believe me, I'm not, I'm not blowing my own horn here. I'm just thank, thanking them whenever chance I get. Um, I, I guess if you're, if you're interested in something, uh, just ask politely, you know what I mean? Like if you're just playing like once every seven months, you know, out 
at a club or whatever, or the, at the high school or whatever, um, there will be some companies that will be want to want to help you out. But um, it's it's got to be probably um, mutually beneficial for you and for the company. You know, they they want exposure. Um, you know, so that's that. I think that's where you can be the most helpful. So I just try to you know include them in pretty much everything that we do going forward. But they, I mean, they've done more for me than I could possibly ever do for them. And that's awesome advice. Um, I've I've played Reverend uh, at like this little like guitar like fancy guitar shop in Austin. I remember them sounding like so good. Uh, and when I played through your Orange Amp, I w- I sounded so so great. I was kind of like nervous because i was like man i gotta i gotta play good like because i i've heard everything in the orange like every little thing i did <laughs> i was like all right I, I have to play very precise tonight like because you're gonna hear every single thing that i do but and like you know i don't know if you noticed when you plugged in i don't my stage volume's not really that loud i mean i don't know if you turned it up or if you just played at the same level that i normally do but like it's it's definitely there you know what i mean like it's <laughs> It's going to expose you. That's for sure. There's, I mean, there's way more power than you need, but, um, you know, it's great stuff. Let me show, let me show you this. Have you seen this? Oh, I have not. So this is a Reverend Dub King. Um, they sent me this pretty much around the time of my birthday to like to try out and nobody's asked for it back yet. So I'm just quietly hoping that they don't. Yeah. But it's a semi hollow 30 inch scale set neck string through binding everywhere i mean it's a completely interesting like unique and interesting thing to my arsenal but it's unbelievable it's just ridiculous yeah it looks beautiful i honestly i was like looking and i thought it was a good just like a semi-hollow guitar at first and then right when you grab grabbed it i was like oh it's a bass i can see that yeah man yeah, it's great i hope i get to use it <laughs> yeah for sure i i guess which could kind of lead us like into uh our next kind of discussion like how how do you think we can get back to um like a pre-covid music scene like do you think it's possible just in general um or or what do you think like what do you see in the future um i think it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky um you know like I think the big question in everybody in our scene's mind is like the elephant in the room is, you know, Supernova's been rescheduled for June of 2021. And, you know, I'm watching other big festivals that were supposed to happen in June get postponed out to December um, and even later. Uh, You know, without getting too political, I think if people don't start wearing masks and taking this, this business seriously, we might never get to go back to work. You know, it'll end up being like a pay-per-view stuff, you know, pay-per-view situation where you got to watch it from your home or like, you know, there's a baseball stadium across the street that's doing like social distance shows where you pay per car load to get onto the parking lot. And like every third space is a place where you can put your car and, you know, you can stand around your car and watch a band that's like 30 feet away from you and stuff, you know, so to try to keep things safe. You know, there's, there's clubs that are in trouble, you know, small venues all over the country, all over the world are drying up because they don't, they can't, they can't make a living. They can't bring any money in because they don't have, they can't put any bands in the room because nobody can stand next to each other. I think the only thing that we can do right now is, I mean, try to support each other's projects. 
Um, nobody's making any money on ticket sales anymore. You know, I mean, maybe that maybe there's like Metallica is selling, you know, like, like, you know, doing the online things and stuff like that. Maybe that's something that they can do, but that's not anything that the toasters can do at this point, you know, or like, or mustard plug or Mephiscopheles or any of my other friends, like, you know, like, you know, some of my friends and bands, that's their entire livelihood, you know, like Kristen from Scotch Bonnets, she just, that's all she does is play music. That's her entire life. You know what I mean? She's got a bunch of different projects and she's in, you know, some nights she's in bars with an acoustic guitar. My friend, um, Claire from Free Coasters, same thing. Um, so I mean, a lot of little clubs are drying up. Um, a lot of bands are stagnant. People are running out of money. Things are starting to get desperate. A lot of our contemporaries are going to start having to get day jobs and do, you know, doing like contact tracing from home for like AAA or whatever, whoever will hire them. The only thing we can do right now, I think, is to try to support each other's projects in other ways. Uh, there's no merch tables. Go to the website, order stuff from your friend's bands, order music from your, you know, order your friend's record, order the records of a band that you like. You know, if you were thinking about getting a record that you didn't grab last time you went to go see a band, look it up, find it, buy it, you know, go to Jump Up, buy it, you know what I mean? Um, that's really the only thing that we can do for each other right now. Um, and we just have to be patient. We have to look after each other and we have to be, we have to be careful and we got to wear a mask. Cause I mean, I, you know, I think the first show that I get to play, if this ever cleans up and we can ever go out and do this again, I mean, just think about how many months of frustration and, you know, desperation people are like musicians and artists are bottling up, you know, like when you can finally go see a show, I, it's going to slay, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the first time toasters get to play in front of a crowd again, we're going to melt your face. I mean, like <laughs> we're going to go for it. That's all I can say. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say like, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but and it's probably going to be the best show you've ever seen in your life because, you know, how long has it been? I haven't played a show in over, like, a, like at home on March 4th and I've been home ever since. So, you know, like just try to support your favorite bands and the artists that you like and your friends that, you know, aren't on the road. Buy their paintings, you know, buy their photography, you know, what, what, whatever else they do. Like if you can do it, if you, if you would normally have money that you could spend on a ticket, spend it on something like that. And that's the only way we can keep our, our friends alive for now. Yeah, um, definitely, totally agree. Uh, also, 100% on the mask, you know, just like a common courtesy too, right? Just to to everyone, like, yeah, just wear a mask. Um, so I was pretty stoked when uh, I was looking at your Friends of Tim shirts. Um, I just want you to kind of like, I guess, how'd you come up with that, that idea and maybe explain that idea to people who don't know about, uh, well, it was, it was a pretty short campaign. Um, mm -hmm. it started like when I first started playing with Buck again, you know, like I, I do screen printing just for fun. I'm not really any good at it. I just make a few things here, make some patches or make some koozies or whatever. So like I started making these koozies to take with me and put my suitcase and give out to friends and stuff. But I didn't, you know, I never, I just wanted, you know, like, I never really talked to anybody when I was in the toasters in the old days. I was too just painfully shy. I couldn't do it. So this time around, I'm trying to be a little more, you know, I missed out on meeting a lot of really cool and interesting people. And this time I want to make sure that I do that. So this is a good icebreaker for me. You know, I can be like, Hey man, would you like a koozie? And they're like, yeah, how are you? And like, then we start talking and things are cool. So that's where that came from. And then um, my friend's a screen printer here in Salem, Virginia. And he, um, he wanted to do a, like a, a couch tour thing for 
some local bands and some small businesses and stuff. And so he did a toaster shirt and he did a skunk shirt for us. And, uh, and I said, well, would you be interested in doing some friends of Tim shirts? And, um, and he, he said, yeah, sure. You know, whatever you, what do you think any of them will sell? And I said, probably not, <laughs> but if they do, I'll use the money to buy, like to buy stuff from my, my other friends that are in bands. I'll buy their stuff with the money. If, it, if any money comes in, I'll turn it back around. So, so there was a skunk shirt, a toaster shirt and a friends of Tim shirt. And the friends of Tim shirt outsold both of them. <laughs> but we did sell a bunch of skunk shirts and we did sell a bunch of toaster shirts. So I was really kind of blown away by the whole thing. But um, that's that's where that came from. So, But I used that money to buy records. Like I said before, I bought records from friends' bands. I bought merch from friends' bands. I bought a shirt from the Motorhead Road Crew campaign. I donated money to the Roadie Relief Fund. Um, I bought some photographs from one of my friends who's a, who's a guitar tech who's not on the road right now. And, you know, I just... I wouldn't have had the money to do that if it wasn't for the people that bought the shirts. So you talking about it right now gives me a chance to thank everybody that bought a shirt because I was totally humbled by the whole thing. And um, my dogs are about to go crazy because my family's coming back from running to the store. So <laughs> if they do, just bear with me for a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries at all. Um, so just really we can uh, kind of wrap it up um just in general what uh where can people follow you where can people get updated on the toasters um, um i think the yeah. best way um i'm i'm on instagram at timmy lee six it's t-i-m-m-y-l-e-e-s-i-x-x um at toasters nyc on instagram is, a, is another good good way to keep in touch with us um i have access to that and so does buck so you get it from Texas and <laughs> Virginia. Um, but yeah, um, uh, Bands in Town is an app that's very useful. Our booking agents on it, keeping you know keeping that updated. So if you follow Toasters on Bands in Town, you'll find out when we can actually get back on the road and what's going to happen. Um, there is also Toasters Facebook. I'm on Facebook. You know that. Um, but yeah, just you know, if anybody if anybody really wants, I'm not really that exciting on on Instagram or whatever. But if anybody wants to follow, please feel free to hit me up. And if you do, just make sure you send me a note and say hello. Um, and you know, toasters are we have toaster stuff available at Social Revolt. Do you know about those guys? They're I've in San Antonio. Heard, yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard of it, but I'm not too familiar. Yeah, so the our web store now um, is at socialrevoltstore.com. So if anybody wants to grab a shirt or something. We also did this coffee collaboration with this cool um, boutique coffee brand in New Jersey called Dead Sled. So if you go to deadsledcoffee.com, you can order the Toaster's Coffee, which just came out, and it is dynamite. And I'm super stoked because I'm the one that helped put it together. Um, you know, I guess that's pretty much the best way to find out what we're up to right now. And, you know, I'm sure once everybody gets on the road again, you'll, you know, it'll just be, we'll be just like hiring blimps and airplanes on the beach and stuff like that with the yeah. sign. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim, well, I really appreciate you just taking the time to talk to me. Um, I'm so stoked to just share this with everyone. And um, yeah, I just hope you have a great rest of your day and uh, hopefully I see you and the toasters soon. Yeah, man, thanks a lot. I mean, it was a great opportunity. It's great to speak with you and, you know, good to see you and talk to another admired bass player again. Jeez, I can't, like, the kid across the street is the only other bass player I have <laughs> any access to right now, so it's really great to talk to you. <laughs> I really appreciate it, man. I right, well, thank you. You have a good night. 
You too, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Later. See ya.